Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Ludmers. Welcome to the show. Thank you to everybody for joining Revolution once again this month. Uh, as per usual, we start with our roundtable discussion, and this month I am joined by two very popular and esteemed Soulvox Network hosts. One is John Carousella, who hosts Convergence on the third Sundays of each month. Welcome, yeah. John Carousella. Good morning. And our other guest this month is Robin White Turtle Lisney, who is the host of Evolve on the third Thursdays of each month. And welcome, Robin. Thanks, I see. Hi, John. <laughs> hey, Robin. And the the topic I wanted to toss out into the mix for us to discuss today um, is really, you know, and as, as a reader and in the work that I do, very often I get questions from clients and things about what's my path, what's my purpose, what am I here to do, um, am I really doing what I'm meant to be doing, and that kind of thing. And I saw uh, actually a blog post by Jason Miller, and it started with a quote by Derek Seavers, um, who started CD Baby. And part of that quote said, ambition is the most primal and sacred fundament of our being. To feel ambition and to act upon it is to embrace the unique calling of our souls. Not to act upon that ambition is to turn our backs on ourselves and on the reason for our existence. And that's quite a heady little quote, I suppose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I really think that that's, that's the crux of what a lot of times people are asking, you know, when they come into a reading, when they're saying, you know, why am I here? What's my purpose? Am I fulfilling my path in life? And that kind of thing. It probably is this intuitive or underlying sense that there is something more or something else that they are meant to do that they are not tapping into or fulfilling the potential of. Um, and so I wanted to use the questions that were from that blog post as some jumping off points to see what you might have to say about how we can identify what that might be for us. And then if we feel we're not doing that, how we can challenge ourselves to be willing to do it and what gets in the way oftentimes of us having the willingness to, because uh, I don't think it's about ability. I always think it's about the willingness and what gets in the way of our willingness to do it, not not having the ability to do it. Because um, I don't think we'd be put here without the ability to fulfill our path and purpose. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so uh, let's just start there and I'll just ask each of you, you know, how do you feel people can become more aware of what that ambition or purpose or path that their soul is here for, that their life is about? And what do you think often gets in the way the most of them f fulfilling that or, or fully embracing that and being willing to? Uh... It's often said that though to figure out what your true calling is, go back to what you really loved doing as a child. 
Now, it may be, it may, it may be the case that you didn't have the opportunity to do the, the kinds of things at the level of sophistication that your adult self is capable of when you were a child. Uh, but there's something about what you enjoyed as a child that's very telling. Because when you're doing it as a child, you're doing it without judgment applied to it. You're doing it, you're essentially playing, right? And as you play, you embrace what excites you, you embrace what enthralls you, uh, where you find wonder and awe, and there's nobody telling you that you shouldn't. And there's nobody telling you that you're failing or that you're doing a bad job or that or that it's not appropriate or that you can't or that you'll never be able to do that, you know, whatever. There's a there's an openness that you experience as a child. And so if this, there are things that you did as a child that thrilled you, those are probably things that as a child. And so if this, there are things that you did as a child that thrilled you, those are probably things that relate to or align with your your real purpose. Now they might not be exactly the same things because they've been they're they're done in a way that a child does things. But there's probably some good compass points there. Some 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 in some way uh, inappropriate, inadequate, uh, counterproductive, not productive enough, um, shameful. The the range is is as wide as human experience. Are not financially feasible. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> we see, I see a lot of people that, um, when I see clients, I see a lot of people that are uh, really stuck with that question, you know, what am I supposed to do with myself? And some of them, you know, have been praying or asking for a long time what their ambition is or what they should be doing. And the truth is they're just afraid. A lot of times it's the fear of doing what you love uh, that that whether it makes money for you or not, allowing yourself some time or space during your week to do what it is you love and see where it takes you. Um, so that that is often the question. And sometimes people don't know what they really love or are passionate about, but I like your suggestion, John, about going, um, you know, going into your childhood and what did you love when you were a kid? Um, because I think that that usually when we're children, we have more of an idea of, uh, because we don't have any filters and we don't have fear and we, we have the ability to take time to just explore and enjoy ourselves. So the other thing I always ask people is what do you love? What do you love to do? What do you, what just turns you on? What turns you on? You know, what is it that you really feel passionate about? And a lot of times the passion, um, it's scary <laughs> when it comes up because whether it's passion for a person or passion for uh, you know, something that you want to create in the world, that's a lot of hard work. I mean, passion's just a spark. But then, you know, if you want to create a book or a novel or whatever, it's it means sitting in the chair and doing it. You know, so there's there's a lot of fear to be faced. And that's what I find most helpful is when people can face the fear and release it. Uh, that's what I try to help people to do. And um, I get it all the time, get that question all the time. <laughs> And don't you think that the idea of making a living or making money at something also skews the perspective because of where people get stuck in what they think it means to make a living 
or right. make money from something. Because oftentimes I find that um, they're not willing to necessarily sacrifice anything. Right. So it's like, well, I would do this, but I don't know that I can make enough money to afford my four bedroom house and two cars and lifestyle that I live. Like, well, huh, okay. So I guess that lifestyle is more important because they, they think that that's the measure of happiness or that's where how they're going to be happy. They can't be happy in a smaller house. They can't be happy with just one car, you know, or whatever. Um, and so therefore they're not willing to necessarily sacrifice and actually try and see if doing the thing they really want to be doing or love or feel called to do gives them that deeper sense of satisfaction and happiness that, living in a smaller or a bigger house or whatever they think that's what it does but it doesn't and they'll realize i'm perfectly happy without that because i'm doing what i really love or what i'm really meant to be doing mm-hmm. um yeah i i see i think that's that's not uncommon for us to presume uh a solution to happiness based on what we're taught in the culture Right. So so we get the idea. I mean, it's not like it's not like having a, a four bedroom house and two cars in the garage uh, is a is an organic idea. Right. It's a, that's an idea and a goal that's precipitated and facilitated by the culture. So it, it's I think what people often struggle with is not knowing that they have more choices than they than they understand, right? The, we, we all have way more choices than we think because the culture, by its very nature, tries to draw us into a common harmonic, a common song. And diversity within that song, there is diversity, but it's still the, it's still the song, right? And uh, it, sometimes we, we have to be reminded that we can step outside of that song. We can step outside of the cultural norms and maybe our happiness lies there. And it's not because we're stubborn that we don't pursue it. It's we just don't, we're not awake to the possibility. And I think this is what, this is what awakening in one sense uh, facilitates is the awareness of what the self really wants what that ambition actually is because so often the culture is not providing a template for what is truly satisfying. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think conditioning comes plays into a lot of people's fears. If I, if I do this, will I be stepping outside of the love of my framework, you know, my family or my friends, or will people think I'm weird or, I mean, I think that Mm, plays into a lot of people squelching their ambitions about things. And the truth is, if you're really passionate about something and you really love to do it, people that love you and really care about you are going to be supportive. I mean, you might have to prove it to them for a while. You may have to do it with, you know, do practice whatever it is that you're wanting to do um, in, in the silence of your own, you know, home for a while. Um, you know, whether that's making something or creating something or, but people are, tend to be very afraid of what that will mean in a bigger sense. And, and it's usually just delusion because if, if they truly love you, they're not going to, they're going to just be supportive of what you want uh, and, and what you feel passionate about. They're, they're going to get behind you eventually. 
So well, and you just have to keep focused on it. Yeah. And really, I think what that says is it's that fear of needing outside validation or acceptance. Oh, right. Rather than the willingness to simply say, no, I know within myself this is my calling and I don't need anything outside of me to somehow put a stamp of approval on that, to validate that, to accept that. Right. And then it will evolve, I think, like you said, if you start doing that, people will be drawn to you and to your work because of that um, energetic infusion of authenticity. Right. Um, but we may not get that right away. And it may mean part of the sacrifice may mean we end up losing some friends mm -hmm. or needing to move away from a community that we've gotten comfortable in or something like that. But mm -hmm. that that doesn't mean don't do it. And I think that's where people get stuck in the fear that they project all sorts of, you know, doom and gloom, end of the world scenarios to following that path rather mm -hmm. than seeing it as, well, let me just see where it takes me, even if it means some things fall away. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both of you, you know, work with people uh, in a variety of ways with, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one and do a lot of energy work or meditation, visualization kind of work, et cetera. Um, what would be something that you would recommend to people that they could do to A, identify if they are giving in too much to the fear and not fully embracing or involved in their path calling purpose in life and then be what would you do or suggest to them as a process or a technique or something that would help them to connect with that and then to be able to start manifesting that in themselves and then in their lives more meditation visualization kind of work etc um what would be something that you would recommend to people that they could do to a identify if they are giving in too much to the fear and not fully embracing or involved in their path calling purpose in life and then b what would you do or suggest to them as a process or a technique or something that would help them to connect with that and then to be able to start manifesting that in themselves and then in their lives more hmm. Well, the first thing I would suggest for people is to let's look at what the fear is. What are you afraid of? And very often when you remove the fear, then the desire surges up and there's a much clearer path forward. So uh, a lot of times I give them a process that I use all the time, which is called heart path, which just basically brings up uh, the fear to the front of their heart and they can look at the fear objectively or witness it and when you can get into the witness mode about your emotions it's easier to then discern what's fear which is illusion and what is truly your passion and what's really what you want which what's really going to make your life sing I mean, I think another thing that can help is for them to really decide what is it that your contribution, what what do you want to, what's your overarching, like, you know, uh, theme in your life? What is it that you want to bring to the world? What's your legacy? You know, what is it that you want to leave here that others will remember you by? And and that that is a big question, but I think it's one to ponder, especially as we get older. What is it, what is it that we want to leave? 
uh, how do we want to touch people? And sometimes that's that's a very big question, but it's it's one worth looking at. So uh, when I ask that of people, you know, what's your what are you afraid of? You know, then the you know the fears start tumbling out, and then we can deal with them one at a time, and and then it clears the way for their passion to emerge. Mm. Yeah, I like that too, Robin. I think I think there's a uh, there's power in examining one's fears uh, and and literally, you know, you know, w- imagining walking through that those fears to come out the other side. Uh, and for a lot of people, that fear, that that first fear in terms of their in terms of their career passion, their first fear is money. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So so if you say, look. Imagine that you had all the money that you could, that you could, and then the idea of, you know, buying a new car and uh, going, going out at night and, you know, going to concerts all the time. And so suddenly it's like, you know what, maybe that would get boring after a while. And then it comes, becomes less about the, less a reflection of the consumer culture uh, conditioning and more of a soul-searching yeah, what is it actually that wells up in me when I'm actually free? Right. Because that first fear, that fear, that financial fear, is usually a fear, uh, it's a root chakra fear about being free, right? And, you know, the, 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 the fear of living in misery and poverty and being cold and, you know, the, the, you'll trade that off, you'll trade freedom off for a hot meal and uh, shelter from the rain, uh, at least at some level. And so you have to really dig through that fear and get to the other side and say, okay, let's take your root chakra out of this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and get to the, to, to the second chakra, the, the, the creative chakra, and say, what, what if you didn't have to worry about that other thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's the kind of tool that that's that's the that's generally how I um, approach it. Um, I, I would I would perhaps also offer another thing that that gets in the way the most for people is comparison. Right. And, you know, and I'm, I'm always catching clients and, and kind of redirecting them because I hear it all of the time and they'll say, well, I really want to do this. But so and so did it this way. And I don't know if I could do that or whatever. I'm like, well, let's not worry about how so-and-so did it. Let's talk about how you can do it. And so if we can step away from comparing how somebody else did it or what success looks like based on what somebody else has achieved versus simply paying attention to what we are going to do and what success means to us, I think that's also another way to really take the first step because we're not doing it in the shadow of or trying to mimic what somebody else has done versus we're simply taking the step that's in front of us that we can take and seeing where that takes us down the path. Um, and that word shadow, like in, in the blog post, one thing that they, they what term that they used was um, a shadow career rather than our true calling. Um, and it's just this idea that we give in to something else that we think is easier or whatever because of that fear or whatever that holds us back from doing what we really want to be doing. I would I would wonder from each of you when you've had moments of coming up against that shadow or that realization about this isn't what I'm really meant to be doing or there's something else or something more 
that I am, you know, uh, here to do. What did that feel like for you? What was it that kind of was a catalyst to bring that out of the shadow and into the light so that you have that clarity or illumination? And then how did you step beyond the shadow and take the step towards that other thing rather than just giving it back <laughs> into the shadow? Oh, this, this gives me this, the chills. It makes me want to run. <laughs> I don't want to answer this question. Uh, but, I mean, my my whole high-tech career... 25 years was a shadow career. Um, and, and it was a really interesting shadow career because it was lucrative and it was creative and stimulating in, uh, in a lot of ways in the way that the high-tech industry is. There's a whole lot going on there and there's a lot of things to do and there's a lot of smart people there and, you know, there, there's, money to, to, to pursue ideas and so on and so forth. So it can seem like a really rich and satisfying place to be. And I imagine for many people it is. Um, but it was definitely a shadow of a desire to be internally creative. You know, my, my, my two passions in, in school were uh, the the intellect, you know, arts and sciences, and the performing arts, and the, and I in in my high tech career I had a an opportunity to de- to develop my intellect and and somewhat my um my performing arts side my artistic side in the form of presentation materials and and giving presentations and speaking in front of audiences and so on but the the real combination was the curiosity that the thing that really moves me is the is my curiosity about the nature of things and that is a transcendent curiosity um it's about um, the deep, the deep nature of things, the the nature of spirit and the nature of matter and how they intertwine and all that kind of stuff. And you know, as much as the high tech world was a creative place, I didn't really feel like I was painting the kind of pictures or writing the kind of songs or you know whatever metaphor you want to use that was really soulful. And I think the the question that you have to ask yourself is, is in your in your career to see if it's your shadow career or if it's a real career is is your work soulful? And if your work isn't soulful, it's probably not your real work. What do you mean by soulful, John? Well, you know, I, I ah, it's tough to describe that in words, but there's a do you mean it's, feeding your soul? Do you mean like it feeds your soul? Yeah, I think you know. For me, it's it's there's there's um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna revert to some chakra talk here. Uh, it's it's sacral chakra, solar plexus, and heart chakra. The three of them combined, feeling warm and uh, and powered power power filled and engaged and where you're where in your core you feel like i am doing important work mm-hmm. i am feeding 
I, I am I am filling a need that that is is valued and valuable, even if it's not you know valued by the culture, right? It's it's valued by 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 the divine, whatever it is, right? You can, you sense that it's valuable, that your contribution is valuable, and that it's your work to do. I don't know. It's it's hard to describe. Well. I, I think of my mother a lot. You know, my my mom was a housewife, lived an ordinary life most of her life. She raised five kids. She was pretty much the one who had to raise them because my dad was working and busy. And um, when she got sick, it was clear that, you know, she had a very short time left. Um, she started getting letters from people who found out that she was, she was you know, had pancreatic cancer. And she got letters every day from people who told her how much she had meant to them. And I remember her looking at me one day because I went back to, to be with her during this time. And she looked at me one day and she goes, I never thought my life had meant anything. Oh. And I was heartbroken at one time. But then at the other other side, I said, well, mom, of course you hear your life has been valuable. Look what you've done for all of us. And and she said, well, it just never felt like I was doing anything significant. You know, I was just living my life, but I didn't have any ambition. I didn't have any this. And and every single day she got three or four letters, and every week she'd get flowers. And people wrote from all over the world. So as they started hearing and the filtering got out, so I think sometimes we don't know what our true calling is. And ambition, we may not have ambition. Uh, but we may have, you know, connections with others, and those connections sometimes are really valuable. Um, I know, I know for myself, you know, I've been ambitious since I was born, and didn't really know what to do with it. And I thought it was going to all go into the arts. It, you know, I was a curator, and I was making art and showing it around. And um, but then my life flipped over, and lots of uh, losses and divorce and one thing or another. And I found myself in the healing world, uh, mainly cause I was so uptight. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said, you need to take a massage class. You're a mess. <laughs> so I took a massage class and it changed my life because I realized I had a capability I didn't even know I had. And so then, you know, I ended up and doing healing work and eventually mediumistic work and shamanism and all of the rest of it. But, but my main focus now is, is energy healing. And that was a long process of development. It took many, many years for me to get into it, but it was just like following one foot in front of the other. It was like, well, this feels good. Okay. I'll take another step into this world. Okay. This feels really good wow, look what, you know, look how I could help others, you know, look what I can do that can make a difference. And then feeling that difference, you know, when I'm working with people. So, you know, I think it, it's been a slow, I've been ambitious, but it's been not my plan. <laughs> it's been some, somehow the other plan came in <laughs> and it's all always been perfectly the right thing. You know, it's been the right thing. So uh, I'm, I'm just, I, and also I think gratitude, you know, once you get into the groove of what you know you're here to do, being grateful for it and just opening to the gratitude, uh, it's a really wonderful way to live. I mean, if once people get over the fear, if they can just get to the love of, of being 
in this world and loving ourselves and loving others, it's, that's the main thing. <laughs> that's the main thing for me. <laughs> you know? So as we move to the, the close of our conversation, um, I'm going to ask each of you to give an, an action item, a call to action for anyone who's listening of something that they could do right now to identify if they are just in operating in the shadow rather than the fullness of their true purpose and or what they can do to take that one next step further into or down the path of what their calling or purpose is. Thing. <laughs> That's the main thing for me. <laughs> you know? So as we move to the, the close of our conversation, um, I'm going to ask each of you to give an, an action item, a call to action for anyone who's listening of something that they could do right now to identify if they are just in operating in the shadow rather than the fullness of their true purpose and or what they can do to take that one next step further into or down the path of what their calling or purpose is. Robin, you go first. Um, well, I think the first thing they can do is write down five things they're passionate about. And uh, just get a journal and make it the, the journal of discovery. And write on those five things. What is it that you love doing? What do you feel great about? What do you, what gets you out of bed? You know, what gets you up? And that, that to me would be a beginning. And then what are the five fears that are keeping you from it? So if you can nail the five fears, usually people just have one or two. But if you can nail five of them, then you're going to clear the path for doing those things that you love. Mm. So that would, that would be my suggestion. And, and what I would say is um, take a look at the work you're doing now and f examine what part of it is actually interesting to you. And imagine that that was the locus, the, the epicenter of your energy. And you could dis dispose of anything and everything else about that job that wasn't satisfying to you. And you just start with the piece that you really like or that, that stimulates you. So hopefully this has inspired people to just examine how far in the shadows they're operating and a catalyst to make them more willing to take a step towards the light, go towards the light, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I guess is an apt metaphor because in some ways it is kind of like a death in the sense of transformation and stuff um, and shedding the old. Um, so my thank you to my hosts, my guest hosts for the round table John Carousella, who you can hear on the third Sundays of every month for Convergence. Thank you very much for being here. Always a delight. And to Robin White Turtle Listney, who you can hear on the second third, uh, sorry, the third Thursdays of every month on Evolve. So thank you very much, Robin, for joining us here today. Well, thanks, I see. It's been a pleasure. And stay tuned. We will be back with more revolution right after this. A step towards the light. Don't Go towards change the light. me. Uh, <laughs> which I guess is an apt metaphor because in some ways it is kind of like a death.
change you. Um, and shedding the old. Uh, so, my thank you to my, tears my, gone my guest host for the round table, and John Carousella, who can hear on the third Sundays of every month for Convergence. Thank you very much for being here. Always a delight. And to Robin White Turtle Disney, who can hear on the second third, I'm sorry, the third Thursdays of every month on Evolve. So thank you very much, Robin, for joining us here today. Well, thanks, I see. It's been a pleasure. And stay tuned. We will be back with more Revolution right after this. Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. Your monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Food is alive. It is a being. It is a sacred being. Food is not just our vital need. It is the web of life. Vandana Shiva. Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley and this is Living Well with Linda. And hello Linda, here we are. It's the lazy, hazy days of August. Hopefully it's bringing you a little bit of respite and relaxation. It is indeed. I've been camping out in the outbacks of Oregon and being with my family in central Oregon for a week. Uh, I've been having a lovely time indeed. Excellent. And you're off to camp once more for another, what, 10 days or something? I am going back out into the outbacks of Oregon and 
going to have our campfire and cook our food over the fire and sit around in nature and walk and hike and absorb all those great vibrations. <laughs> Seems the perfect way to spend August, as we often emphasize, being out in nature and taking advantage of just relaxing and being is certainly one way that we can in a major way, support our mental well-being and emotional well-being and physical well-being. And, you know, I'm very excited about my guests that are coming up on the show because we're going to specifically be talking about mental health and how it relates to magic and how magic uh, can be something that can be incorporated into the support of our mental health and mental well-being. Um, so I, I don't know if you have any thoughts around that particular topic or maybe if you have thoughts just around how to use these you know last days of summer for enhancing and supporting our mental health as we prepare to move into the fall so i do i have some thoughts around this mental health and magic kind of thing in some ways it's still connected to the last time we chatted uh, where we went into the realm of the mystery and things like that. So I, I would like to start off by saying that the health of our being, which is also considered our stomach, our digestive system, the gut, our head, and our heart, are all connected to the quality of food, the quality of environment, and quality of thought that we put in. Yet thoughts are also connected to the quality of the food and life being lived, as in what filters we use to view life with. It's all one big circle of life. So I, I feel that the magic of food and its alchemical effects on the body do indeed affect our mental outlook and health, which is all tied to our well-being. The physical, mental, and spiritual are all one expression. When the magic was taken away via programming and ideas like the Age of Enlightenment, which was really the Age of Endarkenment, and the Industrial Revolution, which took our mind, more of our mind, uh, and magic away, we lost our way further from our touchstone, which is nature, and that keeps us connected to this planet. And so the life that we live today, I believe, is a far cry from the truth of life as it was meant to be lived. So we have given more credence to science than to the magic that led, has led us this far and informed us with everything that we needed until now. So in this process, we have lost our hearts and our connection to the earth that gives life from whence we all have come. Lost in the desert of life, we are disconnected. As we open to the idea that there is something more than meets the eye to life, we become aware of self and we start to clear away self-doubt and judgment, which is all about control. And we start to let it go. We let life. For really, there is no choice and there is no control. That's a tricky little idea to get. Connect um, with nature as much as possible. Live in gratitude and compassion and see life flourish. To return to the mystery of life is the magic of life. For no one truly knows what this is, where we are, or in fact, how we got here. When we live in this way, life responds and all needs are met. Nature informs us with her electric vibrational essence that surrounds us at all times. Spending time in nature, listening deeply, helps us open, uh, helps our being to open and fills us with truth. 
For in our not knowing, we are liberated from the dross of life and freedom comes. Life has always given us what is needed. It's time to start with this again, for it is the only way change can come. Not through government or even through change in government will it happen. Only through us will life reveal itself and happen in a way that is life-supporting. And then this is why I say that eating seasonal or organic foods is so important because processed, chemicalized corporate foods take us away from the truth of life and fills us with death, actually, because when it's processed so heavily, there can't be any really life force left in it. So being in nature and eating local seasonal organic foods actually enlivens the body, mind, and spirit, and magic happens in clarity, for the vibration of clean food matches the truth of life and our bodies, which are actually life itself. This knowledge is freedom from the lies of the world, which affect us all. Living this life right here and now is the magic and mystery, and it is all we have ever really needed to pay attention to. But the world is so full of distractions of how we should be and images of how we should live. Finding the heart of life and living that, that's always my little message this days, it seems, and, and it just seems to me to become more and more important all the time because we've so lost that connection and we suffer so greatly and so deeply all of life does because of this uh, loss of, of magic which deeply affects our mental health because the magic and our mental health are all one kind of thing and we started separating these kinds of things out and analyzing them and whatever and and now we're, we're for sure lost. So delve deeply within and, and share the love is what the world really needs. So if we were wanting to think about foods in particular, are there things you might suggest that would be really good to think about this time of year that might really um, wake us up and enhance us mentally? In some way, because, you know, like we talk about the lazy, hazy dog days of August and we can feel very lethargic to a certain extent, but just kind of, you know, not very motivated and just kind of want to lay around. But we do have to start thinking about moving into the next season. Um, are there things you might suggest that can take advantage of this time of year that prepare us for the next season? But it doesn't mean we have to be active right away, but it starts to help build that up in us well I, I do have a couple of little ideas and let me start by saying on my tips that to keep up on raw fresh foods from the garden as much as possible because this kind of keeps us connected to the earth and the seasons that's happening and the garden seems to be in in full bloom right now i mean bursting forth with life it's it's the last part of of growth. So as the garden blooms, so do we. So eat flowers. And uh, they say that uh, looking into a flower is looking into the eyes of God. So take that life force within and make sure you're knowledgeable on what flowers are edible. Many are. Many are delicious. In fact, in the days of old, flowers were well used for their beauty and, and nutrients given. This is the last verse of burst of growth before fall comes our way so feel it and use it clearing away the false structures so clarity truth and magic enter in and become part of your reality in order for this to happen the looking must be deep and real and vulnerable 
it's all magic and it's all full of life. So there's a couple of things to remember. There are three things to remember. The honorable harvest, which is means taking only what is needed and leaving the rest, leaving a little, uh, a little essence of, of gratitude after you've harvested to say thank you. And reciprocity, which means as the earth gives, we give back by taking care of her and honoring all she gives us as she takes care of us. And this is how we do it in life, too. It is a give and take in this dance of life, which is a circle. These two give way, then, to the great thanksgiving, which is deep gratitude for all of life and all things. This is also reciprocity that keeps the dance going. So care of the earth, care of the people, fair share. This is magic. This is real life. So in, in all of this is back to the flowers and there's a book called um cooking with flowers by jenny leggett l-e-g-g-a-t-t so how about some lavender sorbet or lemon balm and elderberry ice cream you can also make this into a drink stuffed squash blossoms are a few of my favorites looking at beautiful pictures of foods can do much to help us create within a desire for real food so flowers really enliven the presentation, enliven the palate, enliven the eyes, because we eat with the eyes first. So to prepare a salad with little edible flowers, Joni Jump Up, some nasturtiums, all herb flowers are edible, you know, thyme and savory and basil and everything. All those flowers are edible, and they just make delicious additions to any salad. Desserts like the lavender, you know, sorbet and uh, lemon balm is soothing and elderberry is delicious and beautiful. You can make elderberry wine. They used to make sugared little flowers and put them on top of cakes. I mean, uh, calendula was made into a jam, uh, things like that. So calendula pudding, even there's something like that. So. Uh, enjoy your flowers and bloom forth. It's the last burst, so we want to we want to get it. Another book, which is a classic and a great one to really look at and and study if you're interested in the science of food and how things work, is Conscious Eating by Gabriel Cousins, and he's a doctor, and it's just gives all kinds of incredible information about the body in a scientific orientation and foods to eat for different body types. And one last book, The Flavor Bible. And, and it's an incredibly fun book by Karen Page and Andrew Dornenberg. And what you do is these people have gone around the world and looked at all kinds of creations and combinations and studied different cultures and different foods. And so you, you say, okay, you want to cook cauliflower. And it'll give you all kinds of ideas of what you can do with cauliflower, what herbs go best with it, what things taste best with it, or persimmons. You know, what are you going to do with your persimmons? And it'll give you a whole little list of things. It's very fun, and it's a great teaching guide and a wonderful help. So, And what was the name of that book again? And that's called The Flavor Bible. Flavor Bible. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that these suggestions would be quite interesting. You know, these are our last days of summer to enjoy being at the beach and we all want a beach read and instead of perhaps picking up the latest romance novel 
we could pick up something like this and be dreaming of what we're going to be cooking and eating while laying at the beach instead. Right. And of all the (laughs) edible flowers that you can grow and then uh, place on your salads and create beauty. Because really, when we share the beauty of nature like that, when we take that beauty of nature in and put it on our plate, we are, I mean, we are that and we are eating that. And that is the essence and the nourishment of, of what really is the truth of food. So that's a beautiful thing. Excellent. Well, I think that we have given people an, a most unique idea for how to spend their leisurely last vacation days. You know, it's different than just being out doing the same things versus bringing nature in to both the household and into themselves so that they can then be energized with that as they move into the fall. Because, yes, and that is the magic. Exactly. Those flowers, that nature, that life like that, that is the magic. And we are that too. We feed it and it's reciprocity and it's a great Thanksgiving and it's just such a beautiful thing. Well, I think much of our mental health issues come from that disconnection with nature and the the not being in nature nearly enough, if at all, a lot of times for a lot of people. And this is just a nice alternative. We don't have to necessarily go out to find the mountain to hike or something versus we can actually bring some of that nature in and into ourselves, which we will then see an effect on our mental health in a very positive way the more we do that as well. And the body responds also. Yes, so we'll be physically much more healthy, which also then helps us be in better mental state. Thank you very much for those suggestions on how to live well as we finish up our summer holidays yes thank you too it was fun and remember it's only a dream it's only a dream it's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at Linda at Prestia.com. Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day. listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey.
My revolutionary guests this month are Fred Isom and Elsa Elliott. Fred Isom is a body worker and intuitive life coach. The easiest and best way to contact Fred for information about or to take advantage of his body work and coaching services is through Facebook, and you can reach his page directly at facebook.com slash I-S-O-M as in Mary, F as in Frank, E. Elsa Elliott is a graduate of the Temple of Witchcraft Mystery School, a certified angel healing practitioner, a Massachusetts licensed clinical mental health counselor, a Reiki practitioner, an ordained minister, and lead minister of Scorpio at the Temple of Witchcraft in Salem, New Hampshire. She is an empath who has developed her healing style through extensive training, her own spiritual work, and ministry. She works with Reiki, oracle cards, visionary meditation, shamanic journeying, cognitive behavioral psychotherapy, Jungian concepts, mindfulness, and in sacred communion with the ascended masters or mighty dead, angels, deities, and ancestors. She has been helping to cross over the dead for 17 years. Elsa's professional experience includes intuitive reader and staff member, at the former Unicorn Bookstore and Spirituality Resource Center in Arlington and Cambridge, Massachusetts, a career in social science research in the areas of substance abuse, mental health, homelessness, and criminal justice. So please join me in welcoming this month's revolutionary guests, Fred Isom and Elsa Elliott. Welcome, Elsa and Fred, and thank you so much for joining me here today on the show to talk about a very interesting topic that I think a lot of people perhaps have not really thought about in combination with each other. So welcome, Fred. Thank you. Well, thank you, Heisey. And welcome to you, Elsa. Thank you, Heisey. It's great to be here. Uh, so why don't we start by each of you just giving us a quick background on what it is that made you interested in the topic of magic and mental health uh, together that is the uh, conversation topic for today. Why don't we start with you, Elsa? Well, I, um, I've been interested in um, energetics and, uh, and the um, magic around things for many years, and I am also a mental health counselor. I have done a lot of work personally on my own issues with um, with traditional counselors and also with energetic counselors and Reiki practitioners. So I've come at it from many sides. So I I have a sense of the connection of it all because it's all connected. But it's a, we're holistic beings. So um, so that's why um, that's why I've been interested in it and. Um, I also find as uh, I'm the empathic, so when I work with people, I often do pick up on the other energies around them 
and uh, and not, sometimes I have to, when I was in a um, traditional counseling setting, I would have to do extra time to clear the emotions that got left in the room, let's say. <laughs> and um, so I got very sensitive to to that. So I think that I think that covers it. And by traditional mental health setting, what do you mean by that versus what it is that you are in today? I was working um, in a community mental health center where um, it wasn't about energetics or um, uh, it was it was probably it was maybe maybe a little bit of holistic, but it was really about um, cognitive behavioral therapy and working with people to um, you know manage their medications. And they were not coming to me looking for my psychic part because that was not was part of the advertising. So I was uh, segmented during that time. And it, was, it wasn't good for me. <laughs> and I still did the magic work anyway, but I had to do it, you know, after they left. And, you know, for their highest good, harming none, basically, because um, energetic things got left in my office. But um, it wasn't something you could be open about in that setting. But now I have my own, um, you know, work that I'm doing uh, under my own shingle as a ordained minister and as a Reiki practitioner and as, you know, also the mental health is informing it. So I'm dealing actually probably more with the uh, energetics than I was before. So that's what I mean by, you know, conventional versus, you know, the, um, uh, how to put it, magical, I guess, is a, better, a good way to put it. And Fred, what is it that, that piqued your interest regarding the combination of magic and mental health? Um, I have found that over the course of time, as I have uh, grown and developed with my learning and my practice as an intuitive coach, that there's always been a little bit of an emotional tie with anything that someone is just, you know, they're trying to process, they're trying to sort, they're trying to figure out what direction they want to take things. And I've always noticed that in the process of making that emotional connection with those items, um, those connections would actually influence the direction that they were going. And as I would be listening to how people were discussing these situations that they were trying to resolve and figure out, I, I would notice that, you know, at times that there would sometimes either be um, situations that people were either coming up with in their own head that were happening, that, you know, they just, they seemed to be coming up with them in their own head or if there's something that was happening to them. Or I would actually hear about like, you know, regular, you know, like day-to-day -day life situations that were really popping up and influencing them. So it just kind of, um, you know, I, w I would say that, you know, I found that there was definitely an intersection between, um, you know, mental health and, you know, the mystical, the magical, whatever you might, you know, however you might approach it, however you might say it. So that kind of began my interest in, okay, you know, this is an interesting place of going, you know, compare, contrast, you know, what's... Um, you know what? You know what's a healthy way of expressing emotion, and you know, being on a you know a, a mystical or metaphysical practice, so to speak. You know what's a healthy way of expressing that, and then you know what's a way of allowing that be to your detriment. Since we keep using the term magic here, why don't each of you just give a a brief definition or idea of what it is that you mean when we say the word magic? That, well, magic is about working with um, the energies that are unseen to direct um, to direct your will and attention to them. 
and just ask for, for me, it's asking for assistance from my unseen guides, um, deities, fairies, ancestors, to assist with whatever is best um, to do for, for me. Um, some people direct it more than that, um, but I'm kind of a, you know, for the highest good of all kind of witch. And um, so I, I, I see it as a way of working with what is unseen and bringing attention and care to that energy and directing it to the issue of problem. Um, to um, to get another level of clearing because there's there's a lot of clearing you can get through working through what you're thinking about it, working through what you're feeling about it, but all of that also translates into the energy around you. So that's trying to bring all of it together in one place and helping to transform um, the situation or the energy or the whatever you're carrying around um, an issue and uh, bring it to healing. So that's, that's how I'm saying magic in this context. Um, I would actually sort of say I would second what um, Elsa just said. That was actually a really nice way of um, encapsulating that and, and putting that. So I'm not sure how much more I can actually add to that. That's, uh, that's very much how I'm, I view it as well in this context. And I think that, uh, you know, if people hear this topic, magic and mental health, a lot of people would see it as two very opposed kind of things, with mental health being more scientific and magic being more, for lack of a better word, superstitious, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, although I think a lot of people don't realize they probably, I think they're more aware of these magical, mystical elements uh, than they either realize or would even admit to, because most people will walk into a room and say, oh my gosh, you could cut the tension with a knife. Right. And that, that immediately mm -hmm. shows us that A, people are totally aware of energy. <laughs> and B, yeah. they don't just dismiss those kind of things because they see it as a very real, visceral thing in the room. So right. what, what, what would you say to someone who tries to argue against these two being able to be combined because they would see magic or energy work as something that's more superstitious or something that's quote unquote not real or in, in opposition with the scientific idea of mental health work. I actually, you know, I have this conversation with a fair number of my friends uh, rather often actually because a lot of my friends are scientists and they don't necessarily understand how this realm really operates because they're so, um, you know, I, I guess you could say that they are so, you know, oriented in their, in, in their training um, with, you know, scientific method and, you know, you know, I see this, I, you know, I see this and I bring in element X and this equals Y and therefore that is my result and this is how my hypothesis was tested. Um, and, you know, being able, you know, I, I look at them and I say, you know, I, I compare it to something along the lines of, well, even in the process of running an experiment, something where you're trying to collect data on something, there's always a variable that you can't control. There's always a variable that comes into play as a wild card, and you have to navigate your way around that wild card experience to get to hopefully get to the result that you're aiming for, correct? And Usually I get a bit of a, well, okay, yeah, you know, a skeptical acknowledgement of that statement. And, you know, I point out that, you know, whenever, you know, just as you pointed out a moment ago, I see whenever you walk, you know, sometimes when people walk into a room, they, they say the expression, you could, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. There was a, there was an energetic someone did pick up on. It's not necessarily something that can be measured or quantified 
in any way, but at the same token, it's a valid experience because you are feeling it. You are experiencing it. Therefore, it exists. It is, it, you know, it's there. You can't just dismiss it or write it off because you experienced something and influenced you to notice it. So there's something to be said for recognizing that you can't always measure or say, you know, this is what this is because I can draw these fancy lines around it and, you know, I can give it form. And um, what I often say to people is um, I think that we just haven't um, created the, um, the machines or whatever that, or the mechanisms that can measure it. You know, that there's been, we haven't seen everything that there is. You know, the science isn't done. You know, there's there's still developing more and different ways of seeing things. So, I would I would say that um, it's you know a lot a lot of what we do in mental health is in the black box. Many people really don't know how it works. They just know the relationship is an important part of it. And um, you know, so there's a lot that we can't easily measure. Is that works in mental health? How does it work? We don't know. Why do some people react well when we really work on the cognitive aspect versus others feel better if we work on the feeling aspect, you know. So it's, it's really, um, I think it's part and parcel of how mental health is. We, we don't have all the answers. It's, mental health is not as scientific as you, they'd like you to think. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, they can measure brain waves now, but there's a lot they don't understand about what they're seeing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> You know, sometimes when I talk to people that are very scientifically minded, I'll say, well, but even in like medicine, um, when they're doing experiments, they'll use placebos and there, there is a measurable placebo yeah. effect. And so yeah. using magic, almost regardless of whether the person believes it or not, it can actually have a placebo effect by having them do something that psychologically for them is taking action on whatever the issue is that they're trying to work on. Right. Right, and having them feel like they have some power, which is often what we're, we're trying. A lot of what I do with people is try to empower them, you know, that they can affect change in their thoughts, you know, that they have control over how they choose to react to things. So that's definitely part of uh, mental health as well, just a way of empowering. And for those of us who do believe in magic, that doesn't take away from us believing that magic actually works. Correct. And that there's something there. It's just it's just a way to, um, I guess, kind of calm someone's concerns or fears if they have some sort of reaction to a word like magic. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, so and and so before we jump further into talking about these things together, I first want to ask a question that I think is always really important, and I see this when people are like first drawn to or starting out in magic a lot of times as to the reasons why. When is it not appropriate to immediately go to magic for helping a mental health issue? Because hmm. like, like the store that I do readings in, I think, you know, sometimes there will be people that come in and they'll say, well, I've been suffering from really severe depression and so I'm wondering what crystals I can get or what candle magic I could do to help, you know, alleviate and get rid of the depression. And sometimes I'll be like, well, we don't want to do that first necessarily. <laughs> Maybe we have to have you talk to somebody before you start doing that, rather than thinking magic is going to be the cure for the mental health thing. Right. Hmm. I think um, 
I think it really depends on um, sometimes just the belief system of the person. I, I guess that obviously it's someone who's seeking this, so I have to start there as opposed to imposing on someone who isn't seeking it. <laughs> I think um, when you're dealing with psychosis, I would not use it at all. Um, obviously, I would go right away to um, more of a medication or uh, you know other interventions for that because the person doesn't really know what they're seeing, and there's there's a lot of dysregulation to get under control. So obviously, psychosis, I would not use it. Um, and I, I hear what you're saying about depression. I can see how having something that feels like they're focusing on something other than themselves for a moment can help get them out of the way and perhaps they can get further into healing, but they do also have to talk to someone. Um, so I can I can see using both there as long as the person understands. You know, you really get them to understand they can't just use the magic because it's, you know, and also with the magic, the way I think about it, like the shamanism and that work, sometimes you get to what the depression's about faster when you work with it that way, if the person's open and in a good space, you know, good enough space to do that. I guess it depends on how debilitated they are. Right. Um, well, and, so I'd and, say and, something like that, you know, just really intense dysregulation and um, not having um, a sense of what is actually real versus what is um, going on in their head that, you know, when they have a psychosis. And, and that's why, like, in, in terms of titling this show, when I said magic and mental health, you know, first of all, I didn't want to say magic versus mental health, you know, as if it's some sort no, of right. <laughs> contradictory yeah. thing. Um, but yeah. it's the and that I think is important where if somebody comes in, you don't just say, oh, you're suffering from depression, here, burn this candle and that should do it, versus making right. sure you say, you can use this candle and let me give you the name and number of somebody that you also should talk to. Correct. So that, so that the combination is there, I think, is yeah. the most important aspect. Oh, absolutely. I don't believe in, especially when someone's going through a very deep issue, you don't just do one thing. I, I believe in doing many things. <laughs> right. Because, you know, one thing will get further in and then the other um, methodology can then um, do more because you've gotten to a certain place with the magic, then you can actually think about what are you remembering, what are you seeing, what, is, what has been uncovered. Like if it's a memory that you've uncovered through a journey, and you can understand more about how it's been driving, you know, the shadow's been driving as opposed to the self, you know, and try to get some sense of what's going on there, you know. So I think it's very much hand in hand. And also even like when you suggest, you know, the shamanism, the importance of having someone to help facilitate the process with you can be Absolutely. very important rather than just take this candle and go do something by yourself or go do this right. guided med meditation by yourself. You know, I had a client actually who decided to up off and do their first uh, Vipassana retreat, silent retreat, and it was not a well-run retreat plus uh, I guess this person also had some other issues going on and they mm. had a psychotic break at the retreat yes. due to the the nature of the silence and the things that they were doing. And there again, though, is that importance of magic in and of itself isn't like just the only thing versus approaching it in the right way, using it in the right way, and having the proper people to help you in using it and, and crafting it the right way. Correct. I, I, like I said, the thing that seems to work most, that's the most effective part that we understand about how counseling works is the relationship. 
<laughs> that you're talking to someone and they're there for you and they're holding you in ways perhaps you, you know, in, in space, holding space for you in ways that you haven't been able to hold for yourself. And that, that companionship is like the thing that consistently we find is what works in counseling. So I think that goes also with working through issues using using magic or energy or Reiki and things like that. So I think you have to have someone with you if, if you can. You know, it's important to have someone you can trust. And Fred, has, has there any, ever been a time for you when someone has come to you and you've said now, Let's step back a minute and think about the best way to approach this rather than jumping right into the magical or energetic approach. Oh, absolutely. Um, whenever, you know, someone's coming to me and they're trying to, you know, sort out of it, you know, sort out an issue that they're either currently going through that's acting as a block toward achieving a goal or they just can't figure out how to get to their goal in general. Um, if I notice that you know, if I keep hearing them say, that they, you know, they keep, you know, they keep sending out energies, or they keep lighting candles to manifest this thing in their life, or they keep having these thoughts, and you know, they keep having these thought processes, and it sounds like, um, you know, I, I listen for if there's just like a cycle of thought that just keeps happening to the point where instead of hearing a step-by-step a, a -step plan to get from point A to point B to point C, if I just hear what literally sounds like a cycle of rumination that's actually like been, you know, that's been, you know, born from thinking about all this so much, then, you know, I... I tend to go the route of, you know, reminding them that, you know, having, you know, having goals, having objectives, having desires, things that they want to manifest in their life, that's, you know, that's absolutely an important thing. They should continue, you know, to endeavor to do those things. But, um, you know, thinking about something only goes so far. Um, you can, you know, you can, you can think about a process, you can think about a plan of attack, you can think about a plan of action or what you might want or how you might want things to look as much as you want. But until there's a plan of action that you're physically doing, that there's something that you're actually doing to make those things manifest, it's just, you know, it's, you know, it, it becomes a point of rumination to the point where, you know, it can actually be more, be more anxiety-inducing than anything else because you're not seeing anything come to, come to fruition. You're having all these great ideas, but they're not going anywhere. And whenever I can tell someone is actually getting into that realm of, you know, ruminating so much that it's causing them anxiety. I try to help them, you know, realize, okay, you know, take a step back from what it is that you're doing. And while it's, you know, while you can absolutely carry that crystal on you to, you know, bring X energies into your life that will help you, you know, attain this goal, or you can light that candle, or you can burn that incense, or you can, you know, say that, you know, you can say that mantra to whatever guide or deity that you want to work with you know, you still need to take those actions in everyday life to bring those things into reality. And um, there are times whenever I mention that whole take the action to bring those things into reality that, you know, oftentimes I will see, you know, people, their eyes will get kind of big, like, wait, I can't just think about this and it's going to manifest. <laughs> you know, there's, there's actually, you know, there's actually action steps that I have to put behind this. And that's, you know, that makes, um, you know, it's sort of like the, uh, you know, it brings, it very much brings an earth elemental into, you know, magic you know it's you know it's the practical element of magic you know how are you going to manifest these things well it's like when then, you pray for a new job and you don't send your resume out <laughs> right exactly right. <laughs> you, you light the candle say i really want to meet someone and you stay home 
wait for them mm -hmm. to ring the doorbell. And well, and that action can be seeking out the professional. So it could be, yeah. yes, if you are dealing sure. with some depression, here is a magical, you know, thing or ritual or whatever process that you can do. But combined with this is also your action to seek out someone to also help you in that way. And I think it's, you know, in terms of our topic, too, that that's the action that sometimes is just part of the magical process. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Now, now that we have, you know, talked about that, we can set aside the naysayers and all of that kind of thing. Great. Um, <laughs> so what, what is the, the process and approach that you take when someone comes to you to transition from hearing what it is that they're coming to you for to then how to start thinking about what treatment, for lack of a better word, to use to then what kind of magical processes or rituals and things to incorporate into that treatment process? There's one thing, one of the things that I didn't bring up that I think is relevant now is there's a, something called psychotherapeutic Reiki, where you work with um, the person and um, you sit with them and you sort out where in their body they're feeling, like if there's a well of sadness, you know, like every time they lose something, they immediately go into the depth of despair because there's this uh, well of feeling. So you're doing energy work. When, you know, it's not, you don't start with it the first day. You set parameters. You get people thinking about if they feel it in their body and, and um, getting a sense of, of the shape of what they're doing. And then sit with them in Reiki, helping them um, Imagine draining the well into the universal life force and that energy moving through. So that's um, some methodologies that I found are incredibly helpful. So that's the energetic way of working with it, of course, after you establish the parameters of what is this thing that they're, what are the symptoms and what, what kind of symptom reduction would be helpful and, you know, getting a sense of, you know, there's this well of sadness thing. Other things that have, I've seen happen is just with people, sitting with people, and they um, keep going into this um, cycle of fear. And I often find that um, when they get in those cycles of fear, there are energetic entities also involved whose job used to be, you know, this is something I've encountered, used to be that they just clean up the energetic debris, detritus, you know, but they sometimes they get crossed over and get um, confounded and they, they start to get hungry and want more fear and they kind of make you fear. And it's trying to help detach them and send them into an energetic healing space and that helps the person then just deal with their own fear as opposed to the energy around them that is fear. So I've, I've had that kind of work. And um, so that's kind of some of the things I've seen and done, and I hope that answered the question. That's just where I went when you when you brought it up. But I'm curious, how much do you incorporate what people might think of as more, you know, classic magic in terms of, you know, uh -huh. do this candle or use these herbs or uh, make this elixir or, you know, what, do this ritual and that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, to be honest, I haven't done a lot like that. You know, I probably would have people do a candle. Um, sometimes um, sometimes when I'm speaking with someone, um, you get a sense that um, a, a, a conflict has created a thought form. 
and it's getting to understand that that thought form exists and to um, send that thought form away or break it up, you know, by, you know, doing some magical work with that. But um, I, I haven't really done a lot where I've done the traditional candles, and I, I tend to focus a lot on energy work. And, um, and also going into the root problem and becoming friends with the shadow and um, sorting out what the shadow is trying to get us aware of. And you know, th there's a form of therapy that really overlaps that I'm learning right now, still in the learning phase. It's called internal family systems. And it's very much about getting to know and understand the different parts of us that may be afraid or may be protecting us and understanding their stories so that then you can all work together to um, be more in self, you know, be more connected to your bornless one. So if, to, to use that term, your higher self. So I guess the one ritual I would have people do the most is uh, the bornless rite, <laughs> where you invoke your higher self so that you are, you know, more connected to your true will as opposed to um, the will of the fearful parts of you and trying to live more in, in um in complete energy with yourselves. Well, and I think that, you know, everything you've talked about too brings up a really good point because I think a lot of people might think if they're not familiar with what magic and that kind of uh, thing can entail and they have that perception is from media or whatever, you know, they, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to a therapist and they're going to have me standing around a cauldron and stirring this stuff <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, you know. Well, it's a really but, big cauldron. No, <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> takes up the whole office except for the yes. house for you to lay on. Um, it's the hot tub therapy. Yeah. But, magic, but magic can take many forms. And, you know, a lot of what you were talking right. about, it also made me think of, like, expressive arts therapy. And in yeah. a sense, that's really doing a lot of magical work um, and, and, and techniques. But you tell somebody that who either is in it or if you talked about what expressive art therapy is, somebody may not think about that as having anything to do with magic per se. Um, right. You know, so I, so it, you know, I think it's good for people to hear there's a much broader thought and definition around what magic is and can be rather than just that mm -hmm. very narrow perception that people um, often right. might have if they're not familiar with magic is and that kind of thing. Um, and Fred, so in your work now, I, well, I'll ask this two ways. One, how if and how you actually present um, magical techniques or things for people to do to clients that you see. But also because I know you do a lot of like massage work and that kind of thing. If we stay sure. in the energetic realm of magic, you could be doing magic on them without them even knowing. I realize that brings in the whole question of do you do that or not, but you could be running Reiki on someone while doing a massage and they may not even know that you're doing that and yet they come away with a very different feeling after coming out of that massage session sure. than they might with mm -hmm. another massage therapist, but not understand why it felt different. Can you talk a little bit just about how you may incorporate that into the work you do and or how you present it to clients to have them do it some way? Sure. Um, yeah, definitely whenever uh, whenever the massage and body work come into play, um, I will definitely I will definitely bring up an emphasis on body work 
if I'm getting the impression or like a very distinctive nudge just from that person's energetic, from that person's spirit as they're, you know, as they're communicating to me, if there's something that just needs to be, if there's something that just needs a little bit of a nudge to be cleared away from them, that they're not necessarily able to do themselves, but you know, the, you know, maybe their guides are talking to me like, yeah, hey, you have the power to do this. Try to uh, try to encourage them to, you know, explore this option. You know, going in there, you know, and doing like you know reflexology or doing shiatsu or doing reiki on them in order to help. Um, and honestly, it's not even oftentimes the ability to shoo something away. It's just helping them clear their own energetic field so that they can release it themselves. Mm-hmm. And it allows it allows them to release the attachment to whatever it is that might be hovering around them or over them by simply allowing them to relax and let go of those thoughts by me helping them to relax. And then by helping them relax, you know, they have their, you know, you know, for you know, for whoever might be listening to this, and among the three of us, whenever you know, anytime we've had an experience on the massage table, to where the therapist or the body worker is really just getting into like an area of muscle tissue, or just really just getting into their work on whatever part of our body that they're working on, and our brains just shut off and we stop thinking and we're just able to relax and be present in that moment, there's a lot of magical things actually happening emotionally and mentally in that moment because the brain's chatter finally stopped. We were able to finally relax and just let go of all that anxiety, all that tension, all that, you know, all that muck, stop thinking about it. And in that moment, we've actually been able to release the energetic attached to all that thought process. So I definitely whenever I have the opportunity to go in and do things like that and people will agree to explore that option, I take it for all it's worth. Because in that moment, I'm actually, I'm, I, think I, I think I do a lot of good helping people release the connections to those energetics and help them move on from there. And even if I have a client who, you know, if somebody who's coming to me who's not necessarily open to that and they just want to talk it out and, you know, they just want to talk about stuff and get some ideas, you know, you know from a coaching perspective, um, the one thing I actually look at and I try to make people look at within a safe, you know, just within the realm of safe boundaries is, you know, if something is really making you anxious but it's not necessarily scaring you, maybe that's an area of challenge that you should take on and approach it to see what stepping outside of your comfort zone would do in that situation. And, you know, first, you know, for, you know, somebody who's, you know, only ever done solitary work and they're really, really anxious about, you know, their first group, you know, their first community celebration or their first community ritual or whatever that might be, just something involving other people. If that's really going to take them out of that, out of that comfort zone, I encourage them to go and do it. You know, just do it once, give it a shot. You know, when I ask them, you know, do you carry any herbs on you? Do you carry a specific crystal on you? Do you do your own showers of light to help clear out your aura and your space? You know, do you do those things already as preventative care? Do those and then go into that space that's going to take you out of your comfort zone and challenge you and see how that works out for you. Um, So, you know, those are, you know, magically, those are ways that I do try to help people, you know, get from, you know, basically from their point A to point B and get over that obstacle, if that all makes sense. Just wanted to jump on a little bit there. The um, one of the important things about trauma is that the body does store, not just trauma, but any emotion, the body stores that information some places. I had an acquaintance who, when um, they had their legs massaged, they would go into the place where a trauma had been. And so they had to be with someone incredibly 
safe for them to um, do massage. So I think sure. body workers, yoga instructors get surprises sometimes when people are in the child pose and start sobbing because the body has remembered something. And that's, that's just, that's both, uh, that's holistic psychotherapy that also can be magical because then you have access to this information and you could work through it energetically. But it also brings up something that is um, really starting to come to the forefront now. I think we see more and more articles about studies done that indicate how trauma is carried in the DNA and is passed along genetically yeah. through yeah. lines. And, you know, it's one thing to work on that on the individual level, but you can really then see how the power of spiritual and magical work can come in. Because if you can start doing some of that ancestor work and underworld mm -hmm. work and that kind of thing, you can really go in and start working on healing from a, a lot further back in order to start breaking yeah. the, even just the energetic line for it to yeah. continue to impact the present and to continue. How would you identify that with someone that that may be the level of it's now time to start doing that kind of work versus just the individual versus we need to go deeper and back further um, in order to really bring about a more desirable result from the work that's being done? Well, I think um, that would come in part from their stories. I, I think um, if it's in the ancestral line, one would think that they'd seen whatever this behavior or wound is in their own, you know, in their own lives. Um, I look at things from a rather practical, pragmatic perspective. If, you know, if they've been telling me that they've, you know, they've burned this candle, that they've carried this stone, or they've talked to this person, or they've, they've attempted that situation, or, you know, they've done all of these things, and it seems like there's still some sort of a blockage or just something that's interfering or in the way and not allowing something to manifest or, like, just a problem that's still lingering around, then, you know, I will see that clearly they've done everything within their current power to do that they know how to do. So something more is necessary. And at that point, that's one of our, you know, that's, that's definitely one of our, I start looking into, okay, you know, what's the, you know, you know, what's, you know, what's the known answer, you know, what is their known ancestry? What do they know about their family? What's the background? What's the history? You know, I get much more personal, much more in depth at that point, because, you know, literally, as you know, as you've said, and as the research has been suggesting, sometimes it's not simply about you have, you know, a person has X problem that they can solve themselves. It, sometimes it goes deeper. Sometimes they need to look into, you know, what is, you know, what is their lineage? What is their history? Right. But I think of um, friends of mine who are um, survivors, whose families were survivors of the Holocaust and working with that energy and uh, that understanding of um, that kind of uh, somehow it's a guilt, somehow, you know, I, I, I don't have the full feeling of what that is for them because I haven't worked with them. I just know that they are working with themselves, and uh, that's one of those powerful pieces. I feel it, um, that it's not necessarily um, DNA ancestors, but more of my, um, the ancestors of soul, um, who I was in past lives, I feel that fear of the burning time sometimes of, you know, I have to, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm out now, I'm talking, I'm saying how I'm magical, but um, that fear of, uh, of being seen 
and therefore being caught, and therefore what will happen to me? Will the mob come and take me away? Um, has been a really, really big fear for a long time that I've worked with and and um, gotten to a point where I I'm on your show. So <laughs> you know, so that I think there are all kinds of ancestral things that aren't just DNA. Of course, that's getting out of science. I know, but <laughs> with the the soul DNA as well. So. Um, and and you both kind of uh, touched on something that I think sometimes gets lost because uh, when we talk about mental health, people think of the brain, the mind, the head, the thoughts, et cetera. You know, and, yeah. and if we think of the typical process, it's the therapist thinking, so saying, you know, so what's going through your head right now? So what are you thinking right now? You know, mm. but what I think gets neglected a lot is how much the body can reveal to us itself and how disconnected a lot of people are from paying attention to the indications, the signs, even the help or support that the body is trying to reveal. Um, right. So I'm wondering if both of you could just talk a little bit about how important the physical body is and how much it can actually reveal beyond what somebody may be trying to think in their head or feel like they don't know what to say versus being able to just go to where that's sitting in their body and talk about the sensation there, which can then point to a deeper root of something. Yeah, I think it's overriding the Descartes uh, model that I think they're right <laughs> and getting to understand that we're fully connected to our bodies. Um, I definitely see that with people like when they, they're they anxious about something and their shoulders are up, tucked up above their head. You know? <laughs> Because they're they're scrunched up and trying to bring it down, and they go, "Wow, I'm more relaxed when you shove my shoulders down a bit." <laughs> you know, so I think um, and it's funny because you started to say the thing about the body, and I was thinking, "Well, what about the emotions?" Because um, what I tend to talk about with people is what are they feeling, and how are they connected to their feelings? Because they they override their feelings with their thoughts sometimes. Um, so, don't um, you think yeah, that the don't don't you think the emotions will manifest themselves physically though, and they could actually? I think they, they do. Yeah, I can see that. I I also see how thoughts can manifest physically. If um, people are afraid to move forward, suddenly their knees they, they're having trouble with their knees because they're holding back, you know. Um, but they may not fully connect that right away. Yeah, I've you know there have been many a session where you know I've had. You know, whether it be a you know sitting in a chair or you know lying on the table where I've been working with someone, and you know whenever I get to a specific point in their body, um, you know I can tell that it's you know I can tell that you know any any emotion that's been stored there and the toxins that's you know that's that's you know that's making up the composition of the knot or the adhesion or whatever it might be that I'm working through, that someone will you know you know I'll, I'll hear them take a deep breath in and then they'll just let it out as I'm working on it, and I can tell that that's more than just relaxation. That's, you know, there's a thought process that just that just happened because I just released what was ever in that knot. Um, and then also, you know, I've, you know, I've had maybe a couple of people that have, you know, just begun crying in those moments because, you know, a thought is coming to mind. Um, and then there are times whenever, um, as much as I prefer that, you know, they don't necessarily talk that much during the session because I want them to relax and just let that thought go. Um, whenever I reach a certain point in someone's body, if they just start articulating their thoughts, and all of a sudden I'm just I'm hearing this, 
very random story about something because I just happened to be working on this very tight bot and, you know, in their body and suddenly just the details of this random thought just start coming out of their mouth. It's because I'm working out, I've, I've likely hit the spot on their body that contained all of that stuff. And because I'm releasing that, you know, because I'm actually releasing that physical lot and those physical toxins, I think it correlates to a thought process in the brain and the emotional, you know, the emotional connection to it. And now it's coming out verbally. You know, there's there's this whole pattern that happens from, you know, releasing the holding pattern in the body to triggering the memory in the brain to having it verbalized and coming out of the mouth. So, I mean, you know, I mean, literally, you know, you might not think of it in this way, but, you know, a lot of body workers and massage therapists are, you know, quite literally, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're non-licensed mental health care practitioners because of how much stuff, <laughs> you know, we tend to hear in the course mm-hmm. of the session that, you know, you know, at that point, you know, we can have some sympathy and we can say, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, or, you know, or that's terrible or, you know, or even, you know, that's wonderful if it's a situation that's, you know, maybe causing them a little bit of stress, but they're still happy about it. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing per se. But, you know, there, it's still having a, you know, it's still being stored someplace in the body and making a physical release. And um, I'm going to add one thing in here. Something that I've actually begun doing over the course of time here in the last couple of years is based on where I'm working in the body. I will make note of it and I will actually see what chakra I'm near on the body as I'm working, and then as I'm listening to what they might be saying or how they're just, you know, how they're breathing or how their body is changing, that kind of gives me a hint as to whether or not that area of the body where I'm working is connected to that chakra and if there might be more issues related specifically to that chakra that might need attending to. What would be a, a suggestion that you would give to people listening as something magical they could do to support their mental health just in a general way. This isn't about looking for specific, you know, mental health issues or that kind of thing, just more what's something that they could do magically just to support in general their med- their mental health. I think um, a daily practice of some kind um, where you take time to quiet yourself and to tune in to, um, you know, the whatever you're your work is, you know, mid-cast a circle and call the quarters and um, and whatever deities or archangels or, um, you know, ancestors or fairies and um, just to spend a moment within and uh, listen to yourself and listen to what arises for you, just being quiet. I think meditation is one of the most potent and um, amazing tools we have magically and I don't know that people often realize that that is uh, a very important magical tool that's what focusing on the candle helps us do and the candle flame or or on the crystal or even on the incense is to help us transcend the uh, monkey mind if you will and get to another level of calm that's where the I think the wisdom can arise and um, it, it can help provide coping mechanisms for um, what's going on or help them see, gosh, I'm really overreacting to that. Why am I doing that? And just listen to see what the answer is. Is it a long ago experience that is still driving the situation or that um, is something they haven't said to someone and that's really why they're so anxious as opposed to um, anything really 
um, hard to see. It's just getting quiet to see it, I think. I think that's what I would say is the most powerful thing you can do. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, the biggest thing that I tell people is to, you know, listen to their thoughts. I, I, I was agreeing with, with a lot of what Elsa was saying. And um, also just, you know, in terms of, like, the physical body, pay attention to what you're feeling, where you're feeling it. And don't, you know, don't necessarily just look to have, you know, physical symptoms released, and, you know, if, especially if they keep manifesting. Um, mm -hmm. just, you know, pay, pay attention to, you know, when it is that they manifest, how they manifest, how long are they lingering, and what does it actually take to relieve that, and then dig deeper into that scenario to be like, you know, what do I actually need to do to release this? What is this, you know, what is this, you know, what is my body trying to tell me as a hint to let go of? What to, what's not working? What, what do I need to change in this scenario to make this issue go away? Um, and then um, just, and then, and then, you know, within the intuitive, with, within the realm of intuitive coaching, um, I also, you know, I look at it as, um, you know, what I, what, I, what I keep, you know, what I tell people of is, you know, if it's, if it's a pattern that just, if it keeps repeating, there's a reason that pattern keeps repeating. So examine, examine what's in that pattern. And, you know, if something, you know, clearly if something isn't, you know, if something's not working, that's why it's repeating because it's not working. You're doing the same thing over and over again until you change whatever it is that's within that pattern that keeps it going until you change whatever it is that's causing the repetition, that pattern's not going to break. So at some point, something has to be changed in order to break that pattern to carry forward to the next place. Yeah, I'll admit I'm a, I'm a big fan of candle magic. Um, and this is where even, a, even <laughs> and I think it can be combined with those things you said because, you know, Absolutely. sitting and meditating a lot of times, lighting a candle as a focal point is a very, you know, key thing that people will do in that process. Um, and if somebody is trying to break something, you know, having a candle that they light every day, and I would tell people, you know, write that thing down, the pattern that you're trying to break so you give it a mm -hmm. form, um, mm -hmm. and attach it, like tie it to the candle so that you light the candle, you say something, saying what it is you're replacing the pattern with, um, and, and that the pattern is breaking. Uh, and then at some point, like cutting, you know, the yeah. string that's holding it and cutting the paper yeah. that is that the name is written on as kind of a physical, tangible, visceral way of seeing the magic at work in terms of actually breaking that pattern in some way. Um, you know, and so, and I toss that in because people sometimes think magic is going to be very elaborate and they would have to know all this, that, and the other and go get exotic right. things and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, well, you can do it with what's right there at your fingertips if you just think about it and then put it into that intentional use. Yes. And I think I want to tie on to mine that a lot of the daily practice helps you with the awareness of what it is that is bothering you or the pattern you're trying to break and then I yes of course I would go with you know something you're saying I also am a big fan of burning things so <laughs> I will write the thing down on the piece of paper or make a symbol and then burn the paper to release it and break my bond with it as well so uh, um, yeah very good point I didn't uh, progress to that next level but that makes a lot of sense so as we move to the close of our conversation, there is something I do at the end of each conversation that I have, and I know it's a surprise for both of you, so you're going to have to be spontaneous and improvise. Um, oh, boy. And so <laughs> there, is a, there is a question that a previous guest has asked, 
not knowing who would get to the question. And that's the question I'm going to pose to you. And then I'm going to ask each of you for a question that I will then pose to a future guest. The question is, that I'm going to ask is from my guest, actually I think two months ago, Karen Krebser, um, who was speaking about ancestor reverence, how appropriate. Uh, and um, her question is this. The dimension we live in is only one of many. As many potentialities as there are, choices, actions, etc., that we've made. If this is true, there are just as many versions of you. Mm -hmm. If you met one of those versions, how would that version be different from you? Hmm. Well, I think um, the version of me that I'd meet would be the one that actually became a rock star. <laughs> And actually did all the singing that I do in the car. <laughs> that I have done in public, too. But I think she'd be more of a rock star. And I definitely would have purple hair. Um, my approach to this is a little bit different, but it's just what's coming to mind, so I'm going with it. Um, the version of me that I would meet would be the version of me that I actually have been earlier in this life about 15 years ago, whenever I was trying to make my way through a career in the banking and financial world, and I would want to see that version of me had it not, you know, had that version of me not lost the jobs and run into the obstacles that I ran into on that path that has brought me here, um, I would want to see that version of me that didn't run into the obstacles, just stayed on that path, but not nearly as happy as he would be, you know, if he were in my shoes now. I would want to see that version. Yeah, that feels like the same as mine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this question really spurred for me because it, it, it would be a great exercise to do in some sort of meditation or visualization practice because we yeah. often do meditations where we go to like meet our spirit guides or that kind of thing. And it would be interesting to do this process of going into some sort of meditative state to kind of move between those different dimensions and encounter our other selves. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Mm. Yeah. That'd be an amazing thing to do. Maybe they would even be able to help us uh, overcome well, exactly. things that they overcame. Yeah, right. Right. So like now that. to follow that up, you each have to now pose a question for a future guest. Hmm. There's two ideas that are coming to me, and one's now silly and one's serious, so I'm trying to decide. I think I'll go with silly, because we talked a lot about very deep things and working with hard issues and how to work with them. I would say um, if, um, if you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be, and, and what would your action hero um, costume be? <laughs> All right. I think I'm going to go the silly route as well. I will go with the with an Olympic theme and ask the question of diving or water polo. Elsa Elliott and Fred Isom. Thank you so much for having spent some time to talk about this topic. Uh, and uh, perhaps each of you could remind us how people can contact you and find out more information about you and maybe just say what kind of services and things that you offer. I'm lead minister of Scorpio at the Temple of Witchcraft, so um, 
if you're interested or curious in death, dying, grief, and bereavement, or ancestor veneration or sacred sexuality, my ministry provides various uh, services and classes in that area. And you can find out about us at templeofwitchcraft.org. And you can look under, um, there's a pull-down menu that will have the different ministries. And you can look at Scorpio to see what our various, uh, particularly our grief and bereavement um, services are. And we have resources up there too. And we also host Deaf Cafes. It's, um, we host them separate from the temple because Deaf Cafe doesn't want to be associated with religion. So we uh, invite everyone to come and talk about Deaf. But it's important that it's important work that we make space for, even though it's not directly under the temple. And I also um, am involved with something called Cat and Dragon Healing Sanctuary, and that's on Facebook, where I do various. Um, ways of helping people face their inner um, conundrums and feelings and emotions. And I don't want to say demons, but sometimes they could be. <laughs> and help them find empowering ways to uh, work through them. And, and say the name of that Facebook page again. The Facebook page is Cat and Dragon Healing Sanctuary. Well, actually, my connection with Elsa is that we both have to be members of the temple. So that's my connection with her and how we know each other. And um, as far as my services are concerned, if you're in the greater Boston area and you want to reach me for a massage or body work, I can be found in the greater Boston area. And as far as my intuitive coaching is concerned, if you just want to look me up on Facebook and you know find me through my regular page, you can drop me a line there. I'm easily found through, uh, I'm easily found through Facebook at the moment. So they can just look up Fred Isom, I-S-O-M, and send a message to you that way through Facebook. Absolutely. A thousand gratitudes to each of you for taking the time to talk about this today. Thank you for asking us. It was, uh, it's a very important topic, I think. My thanks to Elsa Elliott and Fred Isom for joining me today to talk about this very interesting and, and subject. And Stay tuned because coming up is our astrology update for the month and that'll be followed by our segment where you have a chance to call in and receive a reading live on the air. If you'd like to get into a queue for that, you can do so by connecting in from the show page or you can call 646-716-5510. My name is Hi C and you are listening to Revolution. Stay tuned. Standing in a crowded room and I Put your arms around me, tell me everything's okay. In my mind, I'm running around a cold and empty space. Just put your arms around me, tell me everything's okay. Break my bones, but you won't see me.
You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Greetings, Space Cadet. This is Tino Kalenda with your Astro Report for the month of August. We'll begin by calling it what it is. It is called Interstellar. The tense T-square that defined most of July as it lasted until the 18th saw a number of traumatic and eye-opening events that apply selective pressure for our species to wake up and evolve beyond our limited tribal mentalities. July in particular brought many social issues into clear focus with a series of tragedies that revealed the world is very much mired in a tribal mentality. And I don't mean this in the enlightened sense of tribes, of mind, but in the sense of it taken to its extreme in which it leads to xenophobia and a kind of blindness to others and a disregard for common humanity. From June 21st through July 5th, we saw a number of terrorist attacks, a resounding failure of our ability to understand ourselves in a planetary context and as an international species. It's also a crisis of faith in that our species has yet to rise to a greater self-concept that encompasses more than can be defined along national lines. A vision of the sacred which is cosmic in scope instead of tribal. These religiously motivated events also point to a need for our vision of God to expand beyond a tribal framework to one of cosmological proportions. We must go from gods of the local human grouping to one that can hold the stars, galaxy, DNA, and the diverse and exuberant community of life forms. It is the star goddess versus Jehovah, a futuristic interstellar spirituality that sets the tone for future developments and facilitates our eventual diaspora into space, so that the virus of life may spread its bioluminescence into barren corners of the interstitial space of the outer darkness. For the August transmission, I've decided to detour from the standard frequency of predictive astrology and instead focus more on the evolutionary implications of the practice. Astrology is ultimately a system of mystical insight, a sort of vague agnostic mysticism designed with the sole purpose of developing the personality beyond the constraints imposed by its initial conditions. It is to say, it acts as a strange attractor designed to cause a perturbation, a slight change in the ground state of the mind that provides selective pressure to push it into a new phase state and a, remor- and a more complex functionality. In essence, I would like to present the evolutionary potential that each of the stellar signs contains within its symbol set and suggest the direction that the natives of each sign can take to develop their full potential. Without any further, let's begin. Aries, you are the bloodless combatant. The key words are I am and your mandate, I am Alpha, the initiation. At the deepest core of Aries lies a being that knows it is courageous and indestructible, and a, and a large result of this is a recognition of the visual and turbulent expressions of evil, that accident of evolution, that is seen at a global scale. 
acutely aware of impiety, rudeness, and strife aimed deliberately in antagonism towards them, they are able to diffuse those administrations. Ares is currently on a trajectory where they are exercising both the demons within themselves and within the species in general. This largely by internalizing the great struggle. The native is overcoming destructive tendencies and ancient enmities and is committed to diffusing the conditions that lead to the expression of evil. A demonstrated heroism is apparent throughout, although is more subdued, a demonstrated heroism is apparent, although in more subdued ways for those a little more reserved in personality. Ares' mission now is to reform the worst offenders in the best ways they know how. This most effectively done with taking on the mantle of a just cause for which there are many to choose from. It is entirely possible that this personality has developed exemplary oratory skills and can inspire many to noble actions. Prime Directive to bring harm to none, and to cultivate fearlessness, a warrior that does not maim or wound. Which brings us to Taurus. We call you Bodhisattva Malibu Barbie. Which sounds a little ridiculous, but it'll make sense. <laughs> Keywords, I have. Mandate, I am the structure of the universe. Taurus can reach an evolutionary state where they exist beyond need and the compulsions that it gives. Let me qualify what I mean by that. Taurus understands internally a state of abundance and that it is increased only by equitable sharing as it empowers others to increase the wealth. Taurus affirms socio-spiritual values that oppose art and culture, which exonerates the lowest common denominator and crass values, namely opposing darker instincts such as greed, which, hoards the, which hoard the abundance of the world and concentrate it into too few hands. Taurus is realizing that excess and dissipation keep them imprisoned to an outdated value system based on vulgar materialism. Taurus is relinquishing their sense of needing to possess and instead is realizing its role as caretaker. Refuses hoarding as private property as theft from the commons and is allergic to excess and imprudence. It is along these lines that an acquired resistance to rapaciousness has been attained. Attaining this, Taurus finds advantage in all activities and pursuits and can create prosperity from nothing. Prime directive, to dismantle a system of rapacious consumption, to disaccumulate and embody the abundance of the golden calf. Which brings us to Gemini, and this month we've called you the surveillance scanner. Keywords are, I think... And the mandate, I am the polarity and the resonance. Gemini immediately identifies slanderers, flatterers, seducers, and demagogues. There's an instant impression of the nature of falsehood and distortions of fact which are rejected. Gemini has acquired the awareness of the methods of disinformation and deceit and is simply not having it anymore. This applies in a global sense that the days of the demagogue are numbered and that all those who continue to spread misinformation are cleanly in the line of fire for Gemini. Gemini makes a concerted effort now to fight against deceit in all of its forms, and what's more, seeks to disclose falsifiers to public scrutiny, a la WikiLeaks, and in the style of Chelsea Manning, Julian Assange, and Edward Snowden. 
In a more personal sense, this second site has enabled Gemini to amend even the most hostile conditions into catalysts that turn the precedents to Gemini's favor. The prime directive, deconstruct lies, keep the channels of communication open and honest, and exalt lucidity and clarity, and refuse to deal in deception. Cancer, homing signal. The key words are, I feel, and the mandate, I am the tide of life. Cancer is engaged in an archetypal journey where they are harmonizing, harmonizing with the archetypal mother and father. This could look like getting a genetic test to decipher ancestry and genetic propensity, reestablishing a relationship with their own biological parents or guardian figure. More meaningfully, it means they are potentially becoming parents themselves to their own children, or they are protecting the habitat of humanity and life here on Spaceship Earth. Part of this is exposing traitorous cowards attempting to snatch the future from humanity through rhetoric and confusion. Primarily, this resembles calling out demagogues who use ethnocentrism and nationalistic fervor to mask dark intentions. Cancer is embodied embodying the accumulated history of their nation. It is falling to them to excoriate the darker realities of the national ethics so that cultural and spiritual traditions of their tribal group do not accumulate more grimy atmosphere. Cancer is calling out entrenched cultural institutions that perpetuate a system of unearned privilege at the expense of other disadvantaged groups. The capacity that cancer has developed in this regard is adapting to changing conditions and modifying their customs and behavior to reflect global citizenship. And as such, they feel at home wherever they are because they perceive the whole world as their home. Prime Directive. Love your caretakers. Seek to understand your ancestry. Transform your nation and investigate your origins. Leo is glamour corrosion. Key words, I desire. Mandate, I am the creative spark. Leo is abandoning its long-standing calling card of glamour and projection in favor of a more authentic approach. Arts and entertainments fall under the lion's purview, and along these lines, Leo is becoming adept at scrutinizing banal celebrity culture and the empty sentiments of the entertainment industry. Leo now realizes that we're all stars of a much bigger show, better than any summer blockbuster. The celebrities of the best reality show there is, Life on Earth. What's more is that the show is live and improvised and has better special effects than any from CGI. Leo now knows and explicates the idea that we are all involved in the greatest drama there will ever be, the total transformation of civilization. Leo is now engaged in a relentless battle against the harmful illusions of a culture of make-believe, one that uses its media to distract people from the real issues of the day and feeds a system of hyper-consumption that is devouring life limb from limb. Further, because Leo falls under the symbology of children and the self-expression of youth, there's a sense of wanting to protect young people from the harmful elements of society and the empty sensuality of consumer culture. Leo is purifying what love is, divorcing it from greed, 
invigorates creativity to enliven the idea that another world is possible and takes responsibility for their love and creations, including the implications it has on others. It is from this emerging perspective that Leo hones their natural flair for drama to charm others and what's more to create a new glamour. The prime directive for Leo is to seek to empower others, especially those who are vulnerable, and give them the stage to voice their concern. Find glory in dismantling media distraction and advocate for the voice of the young. They are, after all, the ones who bear our cultural legacies. Which brings us to Virgo. Immaterial girl. Keywords, I scrutinize. Mandate, I am the wiring under the motherboard. Virgos are masters at working with the material aspects of life. They love textures, with textiles being a denizen's favorite. It goes beyond that, of course, to encompass all the physical aspects which make life pleasurable, from monetary transfers to technology, and especially the sectors that deal with agriculture, health, including medicine and healthcare delivery, and ecological systems, the life support of planet Earth, and technology hardware that facilitates the internet. It is in the mastery of these complex systems that Virgo can be said to be a professional at virtually everything. What's more, Virgo knows how to, modern, how to optimize modern technology to great effect. It is because of Virgo's knack for self-possession and its talent for scrutiny that it can instantly identify true healers, doctors, and technicians that are working towards the healing of the deep wounds of humanity. Virgo is raising an important ethical issue and sounding the alarm on the alliance between capitalism, corporations, and science and technology, and highlighting the dangers of science and technology that is devoid of spiritual or human concern. A structural problem that emerges when it is married to the profit motive. Virgo struggles against the tendency to be overly pragmatic and fights against a corporatist mentality that disempowers the every human and relegates them to a banal and bland quotidian reality. Virgo is also battling the tendency of reductionism and the civilization built on it which reduces humanity, life, and the natural world down to a system of lifeless mechanisms. Virgo advocates for a more organismic view, much like the one that is emerging out of cutting-edge science, which is beginning to acknowledge that the universe is defined by interconnection and relationships at all levels of functionality, and nothing occurs in isolation or occurs without impact on related systems. The ecological worldview, which is very Virgoan. It is here that the power to discern gives Virgo some atomic vision that helps to suss out the details and nuances that lead toward a profound and salient solutions to significant problems. The prime directive for Virgo is to be fearless in doing the gritty work of building a new world, put yourself into the crucible, create the systems that will realign humanity with the natural world. Which brings us to Libra. You are the social piece. Keywords, I balance. And the mandate, I am trending toward equilibrium. Libra is the arbiter of justice and the social peace that makes mutual aid possible and the existence of a civil society. I dare say it is a symbol of civilization 
It carries a large responsibility and potent power to define the conditions that social congress occurs under. It is from a honed sense of fairness and justice that Libra operates in the world, and of course it is here that its greatest influence lies in terms of collective evolution. It is setting the social, legal, and customary frameworks for a just and sustainable civilization, one worthy of the name. From this honed perception of social justice, the native perceives the oligarchs and established powers that would attempt to thwart the goal of a more latitudinous social arrangement, using the criteria of fairness and justice as a guide. Libra holds the balance of society in its hands, not to mention that it is correlated to the scientific principle of the conservation of energy and mass, a function that keeps the universe in relative equilibrium. It is here that Libra unmasks these darker intentions and makes them clear for the world's outrage to see. Libra has seen behind the veil of deception, been exposed to the injustices all around us known as evil and corruption and not succumbing to these. Libra has the clear vision and foresight to defend justice, equal rights, and equality of opportunity, guided by the anarchist precept that an injury to one is an injury to all. The directive is to struggle for a stateless world and an ethical social climate. This lends Libra the capacity to listen and consider impartially a diversity of philosophies and synthesize them into a brief which honors the integrity of each one. And out of this create a multifaceted approach to any social problem, whether collective or individual. Because as we know, the personal is political. The prime directive for Libra. Avoid endless debates and deliberations. Seek fairness and impartiality. Empower your allies and harmonize opposing factions to establish a social peace. Which brings us to Scorpio. You are the demon stalker. Your key words are, I will... Your mandate, I am the cosmic mystery. Scorpio understands that many of the outward dramas we see in the political realm are the result of internal struggles, both individual and collective, with demons in our own inner worlds. The ancients would have given these names. We moderns are more apt to call them by our experience of them. Greed, avarice, malice, hatred, rage, prejudice, demagoguery, and the like. Scorpio understands playing a role in collective evolution, ameliorating both the internal and external conditions that give rise to these usurious emotions in the first place. Scorpio easily exposes philosophies that facilitate the darker instincts in humanity and seeks to harness our inner demons in the service of a higher purpose. Through this framework, Scorpio is aware of the ways in which insidious ideas spread and are reinforced, which encourage the worst in the human animal. Scorpio is ready to have tea with these demons and recruit them into the service of a higher ideal. Scorpio is recognizing their immense capacity to harness collective power in the service of planetary apotheosis, and knowing this, they are becoming active participants in the human drama and global planetary processes. In a world, they are subverting illegitimate power and turning it on its head. Empowerment from the bottom up this time around. From this authentic consciousness emerges the capacity to configure language and images to captivate the public mind and possess the blessing of inspiring the masses to initiate paradigm shifts in social arrangements by a simple symbolic act.
Prime Directive, turn your internal demons into protectors and allies. Fearlessly experience ego deaths and regenerate your resources. Mastering the powers of redemption, you unbind the stigmas, reputations, and conditions that have afflicted you and humanity. Which brings us to Sagittarius. You are the spirit of wanderlust. Keywords are I see. And the mandate is, I am the higher uses of intelligence. Sagittarius is developing X-ray vision and is capable of seeing false prophets, misguided teachers, and deceitful politicians. Further, the archer is becoming aware of misinterpretations of many spiritual teachings, exposing cultural appropriation and miscommunication of intent, and the ways in which religious dogma is used to justify regressive and divisive positions. It is a streak of the rebellious which is not usual, that is not usual to the native's character as there is a tendency for social conformity, a trait that is being outgrown in favor of a course correction. This new sense of autonomy and iconoclasm emerges out of an intimacy with the darker forces at work in political and religious constructs that are currently conducting society. Natives have avoided capitulating to its temptations, whether they be power, influence, or money, all of which are illegitimate means to social change. Sagittarius is learning to be deliberate and to disclose orthodoxy, superstition, and falsehoods in politics and ideology. The transformed perceptual apparatus translates into a capacity to read contemporary realities correctly and to come up with the essential ideations just in, t in time without constraint or expending much energy. Prime directive. Recognize conformity is suicide. The social image is false and refrain from proselytizing. Nothing is true so everything is permitted. Develop admirable objectives and maintain your commitments. Which brings us to Capricorn. You, my dears, have Luciferian tendencies. Keywords, I utilize. Mandate, I am the spirit in matter. The ultimate objective of Capricorn is to discern and recognize sadistic and fascistic personalities and to decode totalitarian regimes and instigate rebellion against authoritarian schemes. Capricorn lucidly understands the methods through which that accident of evolution called evil is able to infiltrate the material world, and the ways in which cultures can feed the worst demons or egregores within them. Further, they understand the responsibilities and the weight of them that they are entrusted with, and are the embodiment of the concept that with great power comes great responsibility. Capricorn is designed to persevere even in the presence of the worst antipathy or the randomness of fateful events. Capricorn understands that their fate is tied to the fate of the community of life that envelops them, when they can consciously accept the sacrifices on behalf of others. When residing at this awareness, Capricorn acquires the capacity to conduct anything and see every process to the completion of its cycles. This is to say that Capricorn has the tenacity to persevere even under pressure that would make others crack. 
Capricorn here is not content with the empty promise of words, but is committed to actions. Prime directive for Capricorn, maintain your integrity in the face of immense pressures and choose your strategies carefully. Be deliberate. Which brings us to Aquarius. You are the deep time architects. Your key words are I know and your mandate, I am the strange light of the future. The ultimate objective of the water bearer is to reach an articulation in the ability to identify untrustworthy, capricious, and deceptive individuals. This is of importance to this future-oriented native, as it is through the action of collective effort that long-term future visions come to fruition, and having any who are not aligned with an evolutionary trajectory can prove destructive to the unfolding processes at work in actualizing the future. Aquarius has the unique superpower of being able to provide for true need. Not the ephemeral desire manufactured by advertising under the auspices of cyclic consumption, but the needs people truly need, from energy, food, water, and shelter, to the enriching social matrix that brings meaning to human existence. Along these lines, Aquarius has the authority and ingenuity to design the technologies, whether they be hardware or of consciousness, to provide and deliver living requirements. Aquarius contains a brilliant competency to renew and transform chaos. These natives often understand the harm that can, be, can come from negligence and hubris, especially its impact on humanity and nature. Acutely aware of the danger that comes from scientific, economic, and political actions when lacking in ecological awareness. This is particularly particularly pertinent in relation to contemporary civilization, which has only recently begun to integrate this awareness into its practices and applications. Aquarius is carrying the burden of building a new kind of civilization, one in which technology is designed to enhance the planetary life support systems and the sciences are to be used in service to life and humanity, an important important given that civilization has achieved a planetary scale. Given the heady responsibilities this sign must contend with, there is a tendency towards a nervous disposition. Ultimately, the water bearer must avoid this and work towards psychological equanimity. Avoid stressors and nervous overload as best can be managed. At this station of awareness, the native attains the capacity to, to be decisive regarding the strange light of the future. Grounded solidly in the contemporary moment, allowing the native to live in advance of their time. When we have achieved an ecological consciousness and understood that, that the nature of the universe is relationship, then we will have developed the psychological technology needed for off-world exploration. It begins first with cultivating an enduring curiosity and a deep love for the mystery of the cosmos. Prime directive for Aquarius is to find clarity between terror and astonishment, decipher to the best of your ability to be between beneficence and malfeasance, avoid overcommitting yourself to long-term projects that you lacked the capacity to complete. Pisces, you are the cultural reboot engine. Keywords, I believe, and your mandate is, I am Omega, the culmination. 
The ultimate objective for Pisces is to effortlessly be cognizant of occult enemies, manipulators, and subductive sub-programs. A rough translation of this is being able to spot the subroutines that run in our minds that have been placed there implicitly through culture, advertising, and all the ways in which the world has used perception management to deceive us into perpetuating a culture of dissociation and enslavement. Pisces further has explored all the nuances of the dark side of life and has been initiated into the secret gnosis, and yet out of an evolved sense of self, a self which does not stop at the skin and scapulated ego. The native does not use it as a detriment to others. Pisces, because it is the holder of the doors of perception, is developing an immunity to false consciousness. Pisces is waking up from the dream and is now immune to the insidious nature of the cultural veil. There is now an almost biological resistance to addiction and engineered vices. Pisces, through an informed and prudent use of hypnosis, is casting a new dream. A cultural reboot which seeks to wipe out the viral programming that has enslaved the contemporary mind. There's a turning away from the sorcery of the dark arts, the demons that have most of us sleepwalking through life, blind to the destruction our culture is responsible for. Pisces has internalized the evolutionary struggle of humanity and through their contending with personal illusions and fears and a sober analysis of motivations behind actions, Pisces is excoriating is exercising the accident of evil from the ex existential experience of human beings. In a word, they are transforming the dark within themselves and at the heart of the world. The mission of these natives is to struggle against pseudo-religions or false consciousness. One area of significant influence that Pisces excels in is the arts, and it is here that perceptions can be shifted with the greatest of impact because art hits us on multiple levels of consciousness, most important of which are our implicit biases, the exact matrix of which replicates culture in the human mind. When we're re residing in this awareness, Pisces becomes a denizen of that realm between the worlds, with a foot in each one, that of the imagination and the supposed real. In this place, the capacity develops to transform all the worlds and unravel the web of lies, including the ghost webs that manipulate perceptions to serve false gods. It is the power of the dream weaver who has the power to take a new story and turn it into the reality of meaning. Your prime directive this month is to transform the world from within by addressing fear and illusion. In summation, for August, it will be a period where the focus will not be exclusively on the external, making the world a better place, but also on the internal, making yourself a better person. I will see you all next month, Space Cadets, and please be sure to check out my blog for the full post as this radio show was condensed for time, so please be sure to check out my blog to get more at Flying Punk Rock Unicorn. You can also find me on Facebook. Uh, I go under the moniker there, Prometheus Jones. I also am a uh, contributor to the 13 Signs system uh, at the Siderialist.com. That's spelled S-I-D-E-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. I will see you all next month.
listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with And we have reached that point in the show where you have a chance to receive a reading. And if you are already in the queue, then that's great. And if not, then I do believe you will have to wait until next time in order to be able to do so. Um, I will remind you that I have reading segments on both of my shows, uh, Revolution, which airs on the second Sunday of each month, as well as on the Amethyst Oracle, which airs on the second Tuesday of each month. And then the fourth Sunday of each month, the Soulbox Network hosts an all-call-in show, um, which allows you for the whole period of the show to be able to call in and receive a reading. So there are many opportunities throughout the month in order for you to be able to receive a reading if you would like and if you feel you need it. So let us go to our first caller. And this is caller, uh, someone calling from area code 408. Are you there, caller in area code 408? Yes. Hi, it's me. Um, hi, hi, see, it's Wendy. Can you hear me? I can. Hello, Wendy. <laughs> hi, how are you? It's great to hear your voice and hear the show. It was very um, helpful. Um, I was just kind of curious um, in terms of maybe just kind of what you see for me for the next month and areas of personal kind of growth, um, romance, and things of that nature. Now, would you say that personal growth or romance is more important at this moment? Um, I think they're kind of intertwined for me, it seems. Um, I think my ego wants to say romance. Um, but, <laughs> so I think romance, I think, on some level. All right. Uh, remind me the of the day. Is, yes. Month. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, April, April 11th. April 11th. All right. So um, I will say just from a simple astrological standpoint, because we have a trine at the end of the year, uh, Saturn trine Uranus, that things that we start putting effort into right now are likely to reward us or pay off for us um, or bring us results in some way, uh, especially during November, December. Um, and there may be some sort of unexpected or surprise aspect that could be part of uh, how they come about. So that can mean if you are feeling like you want romance in your life, relationship in your life. Now is a time between now and the end of the year, now is a time to be putting effort into doing things in order to make yourself available, to put yourself in places where you can meet people, etc. You may not see an immediate payoff from that, 
um, in terms of you might meet somebody and then they don't call you back or ask you out and you think, oh, I guess that went nowhere. But November, December, what can happen is um, they would suddenly call us back uh, or we would suddenly cross paths again. And now it seems like the right time, um, the right timing for that. And suddenly something develops when it didn't previously for whatever reason. So I just put that out there so that you know, in general, this isn't just about, you know, love and that kind of thing, but it just in general, things that you mm -hmm. are willing to put in the effort for right now and have patience around rather than trying to rush for instant gratification or give up the first sight that it doesn't happen overnight, um, that we are likely to see some sort of reward or payoff or result from that in November, December. Just know it may be in a surprising way. Um, so I just thought I would put that out there as a general weather pattern <laughs> from the okay. astrological standpoint of things. Um, uh, and um, this is, you know, based on your birthday, you're in a six year that goes from birthday to birthday when I say year, so just think of it as age, um, which corresponds to the lover's card, which actually sometimes it's not necessarily a card that's about everyday kind of love and relationship, but it can bode well. Again, it's a card of synchronicity um, and a card of right timing, right direction, you know, being in the right place at the right time, etc. So there's a lot that seems to be kind of playing in your favor this year if you are paying attention that a what may seem random or coincidence actually has more to offer. So make note of it, take action on it, and don't just dismiss it as a funny little thing. Okay. Um, it's also a card about choices uh, and being at a crossroads. So this would also say, if we just think of it in terms of love, um, although this is more broad as your year card and number, but um, Six is the number of love, by the way. So, and this is a six year for you. Um, but, you know, the lover's card also is about choices. And it says, this is a year where you have a chance to examine the choices you've made that have got you to this point. And if you think of getting to this point as a crossroads, then are you willing to perhaps challenge yourself to choose differently? when it comes to how you approach looking for relationship or love, operating in relationship or love, rather than trying to do it in the same way you've done before or falling back into old habits and patterns rather than being willing to choose differently. And that can, you know, that can be different for everyone, but it's looking, it would be like saying, well, I tend to rush into relationships. So this time, maybe this year is when I choose to take my time and allow something to develop slowly rather than rushing into it, uh, you know, or I give up on something quickly. And so I'm going to change the way that I operate and choose this year to give things time to develop or um, not give up so quickly rather than wait it out a little bit and see if it can actually shift or evolve rather than assuming, you know, it's like somebody who assumes the first argument means, oh, obviously this isn't meant to be. <laughs> and you're like, well, all right then. Um, 
so so just think of it as you know this can be um kind of a crossroads in terms of what you're asking about this can be a crossroads in love and relationship for you in terms of this year and a lot of it's going to depend on the choices you make and whether you're willing to examine previous choices and challenge yourself to take choices that may feel foreign or just different from what you're used to or familiar with or comfortable with but it's that challenge to the familiar and the comfortable that's actually going to pay off for you and again we would then see that i would think especially during november december as well with that trine okay <laughs> <laughs> um and you know when i look at the cards that came up specifically around this question I will first of all say the long-term outlook card is, you know, nothing but a big old stamp of approval that you're going to find the kind of love and relationship that you want uh, because the King of Cups comes up. So that tells us that there is that kind of love, there is that kind of relationship you may be seeking that is in your future and that awaits you. The fact that it's in the long-term says it may not be tomorrow, but um, one that says don't give up on love and mm -hmm. two it also it, it doesn't mean that we do nothing and just live in a drought until that comes along it also means that we accept there may be other shorter term kind of relationships but those are very instrumental in helping us to grow and operate best in relationship in a healthy way so that when that right relationship comes we are as prepared as possible for recognizing it, being in it, and being able to operate in a way that allows it to grow and be sustainable for the long term. But King of Cups in a long-term position says there is some sort of significant long-term kind of relationship that is in your future. <laughs> sound like such a fortune teller saying that. Um, uh, so, so don't give up. Okay, thank um, you, thank you. That's very helpful. <laughs> um, it's interesting that the card before it, uh, which is for me, it was in the short-term position, which for me is in the next one to three months, um, says it's the Three of Wands reversed. And that card reversed, there's a few ways that we can look at it, like, since it's a since the suit of wands is the element of fire we could say that the reversal points to this is likely to come about and then we follow that with the king of cups which is a water card so that would say it's likely to come about um after the next uh fire sign and that either the king of cups says it may develop or come to fullness in terms of either we become fully aware of it or it really starts to become something serious in the, the water sign that would follow that. So the next fire sign is Sagittarius, which basically is December. And the next water sign is Pisces, which is basically March. Um, well, that's hardly forever. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the King of Cups is the card of Pisces as well. So there's a lot that seems to point to Pisces and that could indicate uh, when. It could also indicate that it may literally be a Pisces or it may be someone who is a water sign. Um, 
And it may also, because you are an Aries, right? Mm-hmm, yes. Yes. So you're a fire sign in that mm -hmm. regard. Um, I mean, this is a very simplistic way of looking at it when we just look at sun signs. But, um, you know, so a water sign is someone who's going to help balance you out. Uh, because really, you know, some people would think that fire and water aren't compatible with each other, mm -hmm. but fire and mm -hmm. water really kind of balance each other a bit. Um, earth is, I think, for me personally, the way I look at it, earth signs are more difficult for fire signs because earth like puts fire out, you know? Um, and so I know we think of water doing that, but it only puts some fire out, uh, whereas earth puts all fire out. So earth signs can be a little more challenging for fire signs. Um, but a water sign can be really good because there's just a little more of a balance there. It's like, let's just go with the flow, says the water sign, while the, fi while the fire sign is like, I want it today. Um, and, you know, and so you stimulate the water sign a bit and maybe can kind of get them going a bit more. But they also can put a little water on your fire in order to just mellow you out a bit. Um, okay. to say, no, it's going to be fine. If it doesn't happen tomorrow, that's okay. It's going to happen. You know, just like we see in the reading here, it's like saying it's going to happen. And of course I say that it's like, you know, basically between, uh, the first of the year, the calendar year and, and March, uh, you know, and you immediately are like, oh my God, <laughs> which is a very fire <laughs> sign to thing say, because it's like, wait, you're not telling me that it's next Wednesday. And I'm like, well, no. But, you know, a few months from now is yeah. not a long time, but in a fire sign's mind, that's an eternity. Um, plus, the, the three of wands reversed says that what you are looking for, you may find in your own backyard. Because three of wands tends to be a card of expansion. So it's like I'm, I'm, it can be foreign travel, but it's also just something that is out there somewhere. And when it reverses, mm -hmm. it says, we may be missing what's right in front of us or right around us because we keep looking out there somewhere uh, mm -hmm. to the point that we are totally blind to what actually is right around us. And we keep thinking we have to go out there somewhere and we don't even stay in our own backyard, so to speak, because um, we assume nothing is there, but then we're actually missing out because we never actually stay there to even see if there is something. So one thing that says over the next few months is to perhaps um, stay closer to home in terms of how you go about uh, seeking out people to meet or opportunities to meet people and that kind of thing. Um, that can include like going to familiar places. You know, if there are certain clubs or bars or uh, gatherings or, you know, groups of people and that kind of thing um, that you tend to go to, those are maybe more fruitful for you than if you think, oh, you know, I need to go to this new place because I need a new group of people to be around. Um, it's more likely that the new person may come to a familiar place for you rather than you finding the new person in a new place for you. That makes sense. It does. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. That's helpful. Thank you. So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of the personal development intertwined with kind of 
you know, what you've mentioned in terms of the love, because I think the personal development things is probably going to help me with that. Cause I must be able well, some, to some, in terms of what I'm doing. So, some of the personal development is um, not giving up, but having faith and trust in that this is possible, that this can happen, even though it's not happening mm -hmm. right away. May also be a little bit of personal development around patience. <laughs> Um, and that personal development could also come from exam being willing to examine the choices you've made and how you've operated yeah. before and choosing to approach it in a different way and go down a different path rather than just going down the same old path because it's easier, it's a habit, it's familiar or it feels safer and more comfortable in some way. Um, and some of that, I think, because the first card that's here is the world card reversed, which says that probably one of the big things for you to get over is f your own fear. Um, the, the world card reversed, you know, it, it's like the ultimate card of fear, but it's fear of what's next, fear of the unknown, and fear of taking that step uh, into believing what can be, even though I can't see it in front of me before taking the step. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It must be that because there must be some kind of block or something. I need to focus on that. But yeah, <laughs> this is really a helpful reading. Thank you, Hi C. It's always great chatting with you. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Yes, take care. Enjoy the rest of the day. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. All right, so that is going to bring our show to a close for the day. Thank you to everyone who has listened either to the live show or if you are listening later as a podcast, thank you for listening there as well. I will remind people there are archives of not only this show, but all of the shows that air on the Soulvox network that you can find on our blog talk page or on iTunes. Just do a quick search for Soulvox or Soulvox network and it'll pop right up. And I will look forward to being with you here again next month. If you would like to contact me, you can either visit my website at tarotbyhighc.net or you can email me, highc at tarotbyhighc.net. And I'm happy to answer any questions you might have regarding the various types of readings and services that I offer or if you would like to set up a private session for a more in-depth reading. So feel free to reach out. You can also find me on Facebook. Just do a quick search for Tarot by High C or go to facebook.com slash Tarot High C and you can uh, send me a message that way as well. So thank you very much for listening and I will be with you again here in September. Revolution with host High C Lutmers. We hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with high C. Please join us next time for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lisney, Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. This is Deb Caracella. Thank you for joining us.